I'm Dr. Jillian Lucas Baker. I'm a professor, a wife, and a mom, and I've struggled with fertility issues. I'm Sonora J. Allwood, a holistic nurse, health coach, entrepreneur, wife, and mom, and I've also struggled with fertility issues. I'm Rayal Hamilton Romeo. I'm a PR executive, a storyteller, and an adjunct professor. I'm a mom and a travel enthusiast, and I've struggled with fertility issues. Welcome to a tribe called fertility. Welcome tribe. Today we're finishing up our three-part series on pregnancy and maternal loss. In part one, we heard from a mother who suffered a miscarriage. In part two, we heard from a father who lost his partner following the birth of their second child. And today we'll hear from a grandmother on how she's keeping her daughter's memory alive for her grandchildren. With that, I'd like to introduce our guest, Shawnee Benton Gibson. Shawnee is a healer, speaker, author, and coach. She is also a licensed social worker, co-founder, and CEO of Spirit of a Woman and an activist. Shawnee Shamani lost her daughter, Shamani Gibson, on October 6, 2019, at age 30. Shamani passed away due to a pulmonary embolism two weeks after giving birth to her second child. Also joining us today is our resident psychologist, Dr. Angela Clack. Dr. Clack and Shawnee have actually known each other for some time, and Shawnee wrote the foreword for Dr. Clack's book, Woman of Color Talk, Psychological Narratives on Trauma and Depression. Welcome, Shawnee, and welcome back, Dr. Clack. Greetings, ladies. Greetings, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Definitely want to have this conversation and love that it's five Black women talking about this. So thank you for taking this on. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. And we are super, super excited to have you here with us today. We have so much that we want to ask you about and talk about. But before we do, can you and Dr. Clack tell us how you know each other? Oh, oh my goodness. (laughs) I'm going to start because it it has been such a pleasure for me to have this sister in my life. We met through my book coach, Robin Devonish. I was, uh, Robin was helping me to get through my book. And we were looking for someone to write the forward. She immediately thought of Shawnee and she was just so impressed with just the way that you describe things, the way you articulate, the way you use language, and then just your brilliance around women of color. And so she goes, to, listen, she's not all this person you're looking for. If you're looking for them like a, a superstar or something like people want these forward Oprah's. She said, but I guarantee you, you will be, you will be more than impressed with her. We knew nothing about each other at all. So we got together and had a conversation and it connected immediately. Oh, I love Shawnee so much. I only get to see her virtually. We were supposed to meet together. What event would we saw each other this past summer right before COVID? Oh my gosh, I have no clue. It was a, it was something <laughs> that I had I had to cancel. It was someone's event and I couldn't oh, go yeah, travel. Yeah, yes. Yeah, we were going to be in Brooklyn together. Yes. I think everybody um canceled except for me so i was the only speaker yeah she was there yeah because they held it they went ahead and held it and i was dedication to our first time being together and so the ford of my book is beautiful and awesome it it sets oh my gosh it sets off the whole book so that's how we met we met through my book my book editor they're both new yorkers and i'm in new jersey but i've been in new york so many times doing different events i feel like i'm a part of the new york family we receive you (laughs) yeah it's the the tri-state you know yeah, that's beautiful because oftentimes we don't hear stories where um, sisters meet and we can just trust each other off the bat. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So mm-hmm. that's just beautiful. I really thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. What I want to add, and it's just in alignment with what you just shared, Sonora, is that for me, it's 
not the length of the connection, it's the strength of the connection. And immediately I fell in love with Angela. It's like, we have to keep building with one another. And I felt so honored to open up her book and then to open up about my journey as a woman of color. And then all of the women of color that have poured into me, mm. clients that I've had, you know, folks that I've served over the course of my 30 year career as a social worker. And without them, I wouldn't be the person that is here before you. So I'm just grateful that I got a chance to be contribution in that way. I may never know the women that read the book um, at all, but I know that because I brought my authentic and full self to it, that it'll make a difference. Yeah. That's how I live my life. That's like Love a tweet. That. It's not the length, that it's the tweet. <laughs> That's dope. I like that. Hurry up and like copyright that because I'm probably going to put that in my next paper. Love it. Love it. Yeah. That was awesome. So, Shawnee, this past summer, I heard a speech you gave on Black maternal mortality at the Women's March on, on Washington. What was that experience like? And how have things changed for you since? Oh, my goodness. So, first and foremost, well, my family's involved with a documentary about maternal health, which will be introduced maybe at, towards the end of 2021. But but the producer director for the, the documentary had a relationship with Al Sharpton and his team. And, you know, it was the March on Washington. It was the 57th anniversary. And she felt like this issue should have been on the platform. And so she was like, let me ask. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but let me just ask. And, you know, there's the old adage, you know, um, you have not because you ask not. And so she put it out. <laughs> And yes. Said, yeah. And so even though the focus was on police brutality and violence against black and brown folk, I know that the system, as far as reproductive health, has perpetu perpetuated violence against black and brown bodies, women and babies for eons. And so it was totally apropos for me to be on the stage. But it was so surreal to be standing there where Martin Luther King stood 57 years before and to be looking out on the mall and seeing all of these people and to have my voice be the voice that was speaking about this issue. It was just so major and I was channeling my daughter. Nobody can tell me otherwise. Like before I got up, my daughter was very assertive, like very um, vocal, just like her mama. And she's like, move out the way, ma. They think it's you, but it's me. And so, you know, it was just such an honor to be standing before our people, my people and sharing it in that way. And the words that came up and out, when I go back and reflect and look, I'm like, who was that? Who said that? Mm. Me, not because it's me, but because of the resonance. Like, I'm like, I know that spirit was moving that day, and I'm so grateful that I was privileged to be able to hold space in that way as well. Wow, love it. I, I felt every part of that. I can just say, for me, watching, you know, as, a, as an onlooker, something shifted for me. Mm. I felt that after your speech, after being on the world stage in that manner, I felt that everyone began to start talking about. Black maternal mortality. And when you gave that speech, I was like, oh my God, the whole atmosphere shifted. I thank the creator for, you know, using you as a vessel to be able to, to highlight this sad topic. So I did want to ask, you do a lot. You're a CEO of So Leadership and you've been this amazing, that's an understatement, just powerhouse supporter for maternal health outcomes for the majority of your career. So I wanted to ask you, are you still an active social worker? Do you still have a practice? Or so can people reach out to you uh, to be your client? Anyone who'd be so lucky to have you? Are you still doing that as part of your career with everything else that you do? Thank you for giving me an opportunity to share about this. So in grown folk talk, <laughs> I'm grateful. Grateful, ever grateful for the 
knowledge that I have, for the education that I've received. I always talk about, and this is just me being me, the expensive ass degree that I got um, and that I'm still paying for. When I was a child, I didn't have the language healer, right? It's doctor, lawyer, teacher, police officer. Just, I'm 52, so I was born in 68, so that language wasn't there. But I always knew as a child that this was the work that I was called to. Then I discovered it's like, girl, you don't like hospitals and you can't stand blood and you'll probably pass out. So maybe doctor is not the way to go. <laughs> You know, right. when I was looking at the ways in which I could actually make a difference for people, social work just resonated with me. And I pursued that. And my intention was to become a clinician and to have a private practice. But spirit was like, that's not what I took you through this process for. And so where I actually got really connected to the fact that I'm an actual healer was in the black church. I was part of a ministry that did work around the impact of the antebellum period, you know, the uh, transatlantic slave trade church of St. Paul Community Baptist Church. I'm no longer an active member, but it transformed my life. And I was in school at the same time. And I'm like, I want to do work that makes a difference for black and brown folks. I work with all kinds of people, but that's a very specific focus that I have and that I just want to make a difference. And in the theoretical framework that, you know, in social work, there's theories. A lot of the theories don't come from people that look like me. I just chose, I'm like, I want to have an eclectic approach to the work. I want to make sure that I unapologetically inject the conversation about race and culture. And when, you know, I work it's my business called Spirit of a Woman. So dealing with issues around gender. And so my eclectic approach doesn't necessarily align with the systems that require insurance and diagnosis and all of So I'm a lot, my license is alive and I can work in spaces and do that work. I just choose to approach the work in a way that aligns with who I am for the world. And who I am for the world is unapologetically black woman, activist, revolutionary. Yes. It's yeah. <laughs> so I work with people, but they need to embrace that that's the the frame that I come from. So I do rites of passage with, with women. I do coaching. But all, once again, the overlay of spirit and race and culture is in the work. So if you're not looking to do that work, then I'm not the, the right pillar for you. However, I will always direct people to someone that will work for them and what they're looking for. So thank you for asking. I like your reframe around how you became to embody the word healer. Because mm -hmm. for me, as a clinician coming out of very, very mainstream dominant white institutions, that is not a word we would no. have ever embraced. No. And so as you come to do this work and you now we're all moving toward decolonizing mental health, I can actually embody that word now. I feel like I'm evolving into being able to embrace and see healers. So I like how mm. you reframe that. And the, the other thing I admire so much about your work is it's so much about spirit and body and I've witnessed some of your rituals because during your during the COVID pandemic the year long almost daily right yeah. the daily, oh, daily your, more. the first hundred days it was every single day yeah but mm -hmm. just the rituals and practices that you demonstrate they're so powerful and I think that people don't grasp the transformation that comes through those those are just powerful and they're nothing that comes from a book they're not about theory and they're not about books that's what you bring to that that's the embodiment i feel like you bring to the practice of healing restorative practices helping us to connect back to who we are where we came from all of that stuff i got introduced to a lot of that through you and watching that that's not something that was i was ever ever trained on exactly. i thank you for that that connection was part of our connection like that's another thing you learn when you connect with folks about how they do work and how you get to to witness work absolutely and i see the field shifting because they have 
they have oh, yeah. to, like what folks, what they are demanding a command for is just yes. different in order for you to be a viable clinician in the field you have to be looking at people holistically and part of that yes is practice who they are culturally in the skin that they're in literally and figuratively i'm glad you're open because i have colleagues that are not they're like what is this and what are you talking about wow. they talk everybody there's room mm. i would never be in if i didn't have the license that i have so you know contracts that i get that it wouldn't even be on the table i wouldn't be considered as a viable candidate for them if i didn't have that degree so spirit knew exactly what it was doing when it created the space for me to go to the school so i'm grateful <laughs> you know mm. but once i get in the door they're like not ready always for who <laughs> who's walking through the door they're like what vibes when i get there they're like mm-hmm. wait a minute spirit and leadership like, this is what i do if you don't want me somebody else will want this yeah like to me it embodies like you said holistic care but also cultural competent care yes like that's taking it a step forward you know what i mean instead of you know just dealing with what we have now which is not worth it's a broken system so to me i i love i love what you do and i love your approach is so refreshing it's so refreshing and i think from a diaspora standpoint as well there's a collective consciousness into how we healed each other i think people Mm -hmm of mm-hmm. color intrinsically and just historically have come from societies where it's not one dimensional. We're treating the four bodies. We're treating the physical, the mental, the emotional, and the spiritual. So to your point, Shawnee, it's like when it's not packaged the way people are expecting, it tends to be this like, whoa, but when you're around your tribe, your people, without even having to say enough, sometimes it's just absorbed. So I really, I think that is absolutely amazing. And just knowing that you're in this space of like maternal health and maternal health outcomes, how did you get started? Because I know it kind of amplified after your daughter's passing, but you've been doing this work for quite some time. So how did you get started on this overall journey? It's just surreal, once again, um, just how that played out. I entered into a intentional conversation about reproductive health when I was doing transformation work on myself. I'm constantly working on my evolution, my expansion, my healing. It's, I I use this terminology and I didn't get it. I didn't make this up. One of my trainers, teachers did, but I'm always in a river conversation about my healing. Like, and you never step in the same river twice. So it's always moving and transforming and I'm grateful. But I got to a point where I started to really look at the pivotal moments in my life that stopped and blocked me from being my fully expressed self, stopped me from being in generative relationships or showing up as my best self in relationships, whether it's intimate partnerships or relationships with my children. And I recognized that those stop moments were connected to me giving birth or being pregnant and then giving birth. What runs in my family on my mother's side is we give birth and then we experience postpartum depression. And with my mm. second daughter, it was postpartum psychosis. And just that darkness, mm. um, that disconnect, Mm-hmm. It lived in my physical body, definitely in my womb, but also in my heart and the shame of being that way during the times when I was struggling and not wanting to tell anybody what was going on, feeling like they would make me um, think that I was mm-hmm. crazy and yes. that it would be unacceptable. And then the conditioning from family, like, you just don't talk about that, right? That period was for me was just like this, I'm not the only one and I need to be talking about this. And because I'm also a performance artist and a writer, I'm just like, I need to use these mediums to create the space to heal and transform. And then the next layer was, 
I didn't go through this by myself. The second daughter, Jasmine, um, who was in my womb, I was so depressed when I was carrying her and that energy transfers. And, you know, she came out and I was just like in my mind because I was sick and hormonally imbalanced. I was like, this is not really my baby. It was traumatic, a traumatic birth. It was a preterm term labor birth. So I was seven months pregnant. She had a birth defect. She had surgery. She was in the hospital for a month. Nobody asked me if I was all right. Oh Nobody date was you know my husband he we were both young so he didn't know to ask so i was in this state of dark mm. and i could have hurt myself and hurt her literally i could be dead and so should, could she mm. i just straight talk so yes speak to my daughter who was in this toxic and hostile environment in my womb and asked her if she wanted to do the work with me because my entire family of my children are artists. So she writes, she acts, she's a videographer, photographer. So I asked her, do you want to co-create this piece with me? A dramatic piece. And we co, after interviewing many women about their postpartum, we co-wrote a piece called Mother Wit Echoes from the Womb. And then we performed it at a black church. And then after that, when we did a panel discussion, the audience was like, what about infertility? What about carriage and 70 some odd year old women were like standing up and saying I went through this or that and I've never told the story until tonight like story after story so Jasmine and I which is my daughter's name we went back to the drawing board and interviewed more women about their reproductive traumas and losses and all the stories started pouring out so we wrote more pieces to add mm. to the original piece, which we call a choreo poem. And she wrote original music and it was just amazing. And one of the pieces that transformed or elevated our relationship was a piece that we did about our own relationship, being in the womb of a woman that doesn't want you, mm. depressed and wants to push you out, being so conscious and so spiritual as a baby, like an infant mm. that you're like, I need to be out of here, that she came early. Just like, I need to escape from this. <laughs> and because of what I believe, like she she had a, her stomach and intestines weren't connected. So she needed surgery. I'm like, my toxicity was so huge on a spiritual level that her digestive system was thrown off of whack, out of whack. So, you know, you can think about the physical, but I always think about the metaphysical that I, my stuff yes. was so powerful that it, her digestion, like she couldn't take in what I was giving her fully. Mm -hmm. So we, we wrote the piece and we performed the, the extended piece again. And it just resonated with the community. And then I was like, we want to do a conference. And the Motherwick conference got birthed from that experience. So that was in 2011. So even though I was intermittently in conversations about women and babies, I worked in foster care, all of that stuff, literally got thrust into the world of reproductive health and reproductive justice um, from that experience of just recognizing that I needed more healing. And I was going to invite her and other people like me into the conversation. So Miss Shawnee, we're talking about Shamani and her tragic passing. How has that loss fueled you even more in your in your advocacy work? People were wondering if I was off my rocker at her wake and her homegoing service because of the way I was acting. I told everyone at both services that first and foremost, Shamani as spirit, as my ancestor, because this is our common language in our family since she was a child. You know, we were very, we are very spiritual. We talk about the ancestors. We talk about the dreams and the visitations and all of that stuff. So I had no doubt that she was going to be coming in, in my business, just like she was when she was alive. <laughs> so at the service, I'm like, y'all will not let this one day that she passed take over 
And I said it on, I think on the platform at the, um, when I spoke at the March on Washington, that one day will not dominate all of the thousands mm -hmm. of people live. Those two babies she pushed out, the two mm -hmm. businesses she created, the artistry that she manifested in the time that she was living from her young and um, teen, or even before that, she was an artist, a dancer, all of that, just in, vibrant and alive. And so I could not live with myself if I was walking around telling people that I can't do my work and be my purpose because my daughter died. Because I've dealt with and supported people through deaths. I've advocated and spoken up about and engaged in activism over very traumatic situations inside of my own clan and community and then beyond. And so it's like, yes, this is my child and she came from my womb, but my work is still my work. And so I, while I have this audience, you're going to learn today. So I utilized her homegoing service and the wake service, but the homegoing service even more because they were like, like 1,500 or so or more people that were present. I'm going to make sure that you understand what this is and talk about racism and talk about what happened to her and the crisis around um, Black maternal health and all of that. And so that's what I did and hit the ground running and have been going ever since. What I want to make sure that everybody is clear who's listening, that I, I advocate and I mourn. I run events and I mourn. Sometimes it's happening simultaneously. So yeah. when the last event I was we were doing an opening because it was her birthday December 19th and so we honor her on that day and I'm speaking about her and I just was overcome yeah tears of libation watch it hear it get me feel me uh, and we're gonna keep moving and doing what we got to do because it's all part of it and anybody's like oh my god she's crying I'm like I don't want to die damn it of course I'm crying <laughs> no. You know, so I'm telling you, she would haunt me if I was going around like, Johnny died and I can't do my, she would come for me. So I'm like, no, keep moving forward and doing what I have to do. So that's how it fuels me. I'm going to keep on. And then she has created a platform or the expansion of the work because her story's out there. And now I get to be, now I get to speak to more audience. So I, I chalk it up to her living, not her death, that has created this dynamic. Did you know that essential oils are instrumental in helping you live a physically, mentally, and emotionally healthy lifestyle in a safe, natural, and effective way? Well, let Dr. Zupenda Davis-Shine introduce you to the amazing world of essential oils and all of their positive benefits, especially when it comes to easing pain, relieving anxious feelings, and assisting with sleep issues. Reach out to Lady Z today by email or direct message on Instagram, and she'll help you reach your health goals and address any ailments that you have. That's Lady Z's Oils, L-A-D. Y-Z-S-O-I-L-S at gmail.com or at Lady Z's Oils on Instagram. For more information or to place an order, visit my.doterra.com slash Lady Z's Oils. Yeah. One of my favorite topics is spirituality. And when I read your bio and read that you were a light worker, I was like, oh, mm -hmm. my goodness. And then you co-founded an organization called Spirit of a Woman. So I have to know, and I know you touched on it a little bit earlier on in our conversation, but how much of your experience as a light worker and a healer do you bring to that hands-on work of coaching women and helping them through whatever experiences they're going through or trauma or anything like that? It's funny. Or every time, all the time, even in this session, you know, I have my tools that I use. So I check in. I was like, should I ask this? Should I say this? Because mm -hmm. why not? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I'm like, when I operated from 
just this dome piece, right? It's great. I love it. I love mm-hmm. the mind that I have, but it's not enough. I yeah. had to bring it down. Mm-hmm. I have my crystals all around too. Yeah, so I, I understand. Yeah, this is all for it. Like what I absorb, you know, right. I'm like, I wouldn't be able to work if I just let that stuff keep getting built up, mm-hmm. up in me. Sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I feel so weary. And it's because I've been doing the work all day and the and the energy is compounded in my body, especially yep. in my solar plexus in mm-hmm. my brain. So I bring it to everything and I don't always name it because, you know, I have contracts with large institutions, right. Department of Health, you know, different organizations that are serving the community. I can't go up in there and be like my daughter, who's an ancestor, said, Dr. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you need to check right. it out. <laughs> But right. I'll have the group do, engaging in intuitive selection of things. Like, I think, Angela, you've seen me do it. So I'll have, rather than them pick, because, you know, the mind will get in the way, mm-hmm. I'll just say, pick a number from one to five. And one might be implicit bias and five might be white supremacy or whatever, and then have them speak from that. And then, rather than them pick and choose, because our natural inclination is to self-protect. And so I'm like, I'm not going to talk about white supremacy, but I can rock with diversity. So no, you got that intuitively. So can we hear from you, please? So I I bring it to everything. It makes my life works because of it. I'm I'm apologetic about it. I may not name it and call it this Mm -hmm. spirit, but it's always present. It's ever present in my life and it gives me my life. So to deny it would be be to deny myself. That is so (laughs) on point, but definitely need to develop those skills um, because there's not enough people readily available who have those skills. It's awesome to hear that you actually bring it every day. And like you said, you know, unapologetically you and I absolutely love that. Dr. Clack, I think you were saying earlier, like, you know, in your own work, you're seeing that shift. Are you starting to see that shift in most psychologists and psychiatrists Mm. on a whole? Or is it still kind of like keep that hoodoo Mm. over there and scientifically Mm. speaking from a clinical mm. standpoint? I I think it's very much still um, Western mainstream kind of the way that they do it. The other thing is, is um, when we talk about, I know and I can feel feel authentically the work Shawnee does. There are more and more people who are calling themselves all kinds of things that are moving into this space and are being very irresponsible with the gift or with the craft or whatever they want to call it. They're being very irresponsible Mm -hmm. because they realize that people are hurting and there is a need. So they make room Mm -hmm. for themselves in in this place and it's in there. They are harming people. And I call them the wounded healers because they're, they're wounded themselves and they are projecting their stuff out onto the people that they are saying. So I'm, you know, I'm kind of worried about certain spaces where people walk in and say, I'm this, I'm that, and you know, but they don't have the receipts. And I get concerned right. about who I'm seeing and, and, and the, the way that people are after they meet with people, what they look like. I, I, I'm a little bit concerned about where the field is going in that way about, um, I'm very protective over people's mind, bodies, and spirits. And I, I, I am concerned about some of the things I see. And I mean, I'm a little bit worried about that. Powerful what you're sharing because a lot of the stuff around uh, racial justice and racial equity or EDI, equity, diversity, inclusion, whatever the language that's being used is very performative and perfunctory. It's like check the box. And yes. because of what's happening with black and brown women and maternal health, what happened with George Floyd. And, and now the other day with the, that, I don't even want to name that. I'm not even going to give <laughs> that madness. <laughs> In order to be relevant, in order to not be checked or attacked, mm-hmm. you know, organizations are just stamping on, we honor 
race. And it, I'm like, nah, y'all. It's about what you do in real time and space. Yeah. Like, Everybody got on the train real quick. Yeah. No, they and sure I don't did. know if some people got on just so that they weren't blackballed. Because yes. I remember looking at my TV mm-hmm. and like Prime. Was dollar, dollar up. bill. They had like a little banner saying Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. But then as soon as Pride came, it was like down. And it's dangerous mm-hmm. yes. putting that out there. And it's just, it, it, it's out of integrity. You know, I'm, I, I just can't say enough about it. And because we're talking about reproductive health, you know, I'm speaking in different arenas. Once again, unapologetically, I'm like, listen, y'all could take a core, a class on implicit bias um, or a class on <laughs> whatever the terminology that's used to for the courses and or courageous conversations about race. That is not necessarily going to transform anything like li- seriously, mm-hmm. like how you show up. Are you a true and this is for white folks that are pra- practitioners. Are you truly anti-racist are you when you at the th- i say this all the time at the thanksgiving table with uncle bubba and they using the n-word and saying all this stuff mm-hmm. and that person always said only at the job that you're using this terminology and language because this is a way of life Amen. you know really want to save lives like you have to be about the exactly. business yourself when this mm-hmm. black or brown woman comes in this immigrant woman comes in and they're saying i'm in pain or this doesn't feel comfortable or i've lost weight whatever the terminology is or they've given birth and they come back and they're like this doesn't feel right or i think something's happening with my incision from the c-section and you're dismissive i'm like it's not enough for you to take a class like you really have to apply this your life and your beingness. This is a way of, you know, so it's very dangerous waters. And so wherever I have a platform, I'm like, you may not invite me back, but you will definitely hear what I truthfully have to say. (laughs) I don't know where we're going with all of this stuff, but I know what I'm charged to do and what I charge other people who are along the ride. So I'm grateful to all of you for being willing to have this conversation. And I pray that there'll be more like it. And I don't even know what all of you do. I know what Angela does, but just taking it to the work and being present and participatory in this anti-racist warfare, because that's what it is. Shawnee, in addition to everything that you do, you also recently co-founded the ARIA Foundation, of which we were so happy and blessed to be able to have supported (laughs) it in December. So can you share with our listeners what the what the goals of the ARIA Foundation are? Yes. So Omari and I are both, all of us are artists. So Shimani manifested another artist for the family just to expand the tribe of artists. (laughs) um, They co-created a business called Artful. And Omari, I don't know if he mentioned it in this space, but just Shimani and who she was and is pushed him to manifest more in the realm of art. Like his- He told us. Yes, he did. did. I haven't been formally trained. And she's like, so- Look what you can do. Look what you literally have manifested. So when she passed, it just made sense for us to offer uh, opportunities to educate, edutain, transform people through art and healing. So we're both artists. I think Omari's discovering who he is as a healer. And I'm putting that out there. He doesn't say that himself. So advancing reproductive innovation through um, artistry and healing is just a natural progression of the work that I'm already in. And I do, but we're like really codifying that. And then being able to be a stand for families that experience these types of losses, you know, the tangible things like Omari didn't have to buy a diaper for a whole year because yes. the community rallied. Yes. We didn't have to pay for anything in reference to Shimani's service. And I don't know if it was mentioned, but I was just like, I'm paying for my baby's service. And I was just in this space of like, this is the right thing to do. And I don't care. And I had to be sat down by my village. They were mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm, like I said, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I was about to say some choice words that they said. <laughs> 
they were like, you will not, you know, the village got you and just generated funds. By the time the GoFundMe up, let's say it was 10 o'clock on a Sunday, by 10 a.m. on Monday, there was $14,000 in the, the, oh the, the Fort Shamani and the children. They're like, no, mm. this horse is devastating. The resources that she brought into the family as mm. a two businesses because she was a natural hair care specialist like that's gone so we got to make sure they're good and she didn't have insurance which is like i'm telling you, any young people listening get you some insurance because mm -hmm. you think you're gonna live yes. later. right and get it while you're young because yes. it's cheaper when you're young yes. so yes. yeah mm -hmm. insurance and life insurance yeah. exactly. yes. <laughs> so you know we omari and i very early on it's like we have to do something and that event that we first did the um aftershock event we were like, we want to continue. And we just like, we're going to create something in her name to support in a tangible way. And then also create spaces for us to make sure that the larger community understands and covers. So that's what the purpose is. And we're still unpacking as we go, but that's where we landed. Uh, Dr. Clack, can you explain to our listeners, both of you can explain to our listeners about the phenomena of sublimation and why so many survivors of loss and other tragic circumstances, such as Shawnee and Amari, thrust themselves into to the very causes that they are afflicted by? Is this therapeutic for them? And also side note, when you mentioned Shawnee that Omari is a healer, I really felt that and I understand what you're saying because sometimes that is how we receive a gift from something we may have suffered. So could y'all speak to that a little bit? I think Shawnee just did <laughs> when she was talking about <laughs> the foundation. And earlier when you also talked about when you had to speak before for your daughter, you said, I better show up. Oh, wait. <laughs> You know, I had to embody her in that moment oh. because I, it is, I think it's cathartic. I think it's therapeutic. It's a release. I think it's an exhilaration. I think all kinds of emotions channeling very positive and helpful ways around what could have been what is more sad and negative effect could come from an event. Sublimation, I think sometimes it's unconscious. People just kind of do it as part of healing. And then I think sometimes it's intentional, like setting up in a foundation, like, no, this is the work. We want to continue this work and it's going to be in her name. It's going to honor her because this is the spirit that she embodied and we're going to carry this on. I think that's one way that people can throw themselves into the part of healing. So you got grief work and then you have this kind of sublimation. So that, and I think you just beautifully just talked about that when you described the whole foundation and also with Amari. I, I think you just said it clearly. He um speaks of it often <laughs> and Amari amazes me. I'm like, you're a content expert and it's only been <laughs> like this year's it time. Is. Like how he just adapted and it, it was just so organic. Like he wanted to know more and he wanted to do, wanted to honor the women that have been lost, not just Shimani and the families that have been impacted and the brothers that he represents because the brothers role now they have their own tribe that have oh yes <laughs> oh yes like it's <laughs> unusual tribe it's sad um circumstances but what they create is so synergistically synergistic and powerful um that there are no words and mm. just straight talk there's a lot of women in the conversation and when the brothers show up it's a different energy and it attracts more people to the conversation so when we did the very first aftershock 
We had a very direct conversation about Omari and other brothers being at the forefront because we were like, if we want to really have an impact, we need to create a dynamic that's different than what's already out there on this platform. And, you know, people might be like, well, y'all are being strategic about something like that, like your daughter's death or this type of issue. I'm like, absolutely. Because we have to be strategic to stop this shit from happening again. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Strategic, intentional. That's the intention. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. you know, so just watching how people flock to the conversation when not just brothers, but brothers of color, their grief and to talk about what this is and Omari also talked about I think in your podcast the last one that he when he was on that he realized what Shimani experienced after having a Nari just based on him now having to take responsibility yeah. oh yeah yes you know because brothers I mean whoever the caregivers are you know folks don't understand what goes into care for these children you have two small ones it's like whoa it's just in the mm. you know so when she was after she had anari he was just like he didn't get it just straight talk he says that but he was able to get that after but um i wanted to say something about sublimation with me it's a mixed bag i would never say that it's not that's psychological process of like shifting something that has been negative and low vibrational into something positive but for me just as i said it's spiritual work so i'm like low vibrational and high vibrational things for me are equal i grow from it all death is a rite of passage me losing my daughter was a rite of passage mm-hmm. in the way not that i've never experienced death before but losing my child was yeah. a rite of passage i had never experienced before oh, yeah. it me into deep grief but it also gave me deep insight about time, about what I'm calling mm. like multi layers. So yes, there's a part that's sublimation and the other part is just me being my purpose and mm. doing what I'm ordained to do. And part of it is to experience some of these dark things. I'm like, why? And I was angry about that. I'm like, wait a daggone minute. I do this, do this, do this. I'm in this conversation and you take my child. Mm. But it's just so important to name that. I'm like, I gotta say that I was just like, what? why me like yo but i'm like why not i I had to reconcile that this had to be used for something bigger than my bigger than you i want to know how does the warrior pick up the pieces Um, i like that well one of the ways that i do um is that recognizing that um i don't have to pick up a weapon to win Mm -hmm. just straight talk as a warrior i don't have to pick up a weapon to win and my tongue is one of the weapons. Like I can mm-hmm. like go. So that is important. And that no battle or war is won as as a single individual. You know, so <laughs> I'm just grateful that I have the tribe that I have and it just keeps expanding. Now all of you are part of it. And that even warriors, if they're not operating from humility, when you go in, you're just gonna be knocked off balance. So I have to come to every space with humility at the forefront and love, love for my people, love for what I'm doing, love for myself. I just know that (laughs) being revolutionary doesn't mean that I have to be rageful. I'm just so clear about that. So Dr. Clack, would you like to share any closing words on pregnancy, maternal loss, words of encouragement for our listeners? I'm going to say one thing and then I really want to pass these final words off to Shawnee because I think who better than to give that um, word of encouragement, inspiration um, for the Absolutely. listeners, for people who are listening, because someone who is living and has lived, 
this experience of loss and also a lot of what she shared about who she was and how she became the person is going to be part and parcel for some woman or some women listening. And so I want you to speak from your heart about that. The only thing I want to say is that just what I would say when it comes to mental health is that people, I really encourage people have to learn to feel what they feel and give themselves permission to feel it all, feel it deeply and to openly grieve as necessary. Never feel ashamed or embarrassed or guilty um, because people don't think that your loss was significant or important and they don't want to give name to it or they don't know how to even um, support you. I want people to know, feel it all. Fill it off on a safe person, a safe community, and um, get what you need. Say what you need and get what you need when it comes to grieving. And I'm going to pass it on to Shawnee to take us home. Yeah, um, what you just shared reminded me of something that is a mantra. And Spirit gave it to me, and I'll, I'll rock with this all the time, that I expose myself to expand myself. And that's how I heal, and that's how women that look like me and women that don't look like me um, will continue to heal and grow. Like that stigma you spoke about, like the more I expose and open up my chest so that you can see my heart, the more that I expand and grow and heal and transform and I can live another day to manifest my purpose. And I want to say what I said on the stage when I did, when I spoke at the March on Washington, that Black Lives Matter, as we've been told, and Black wombs matter and Black wombs create Black lives. So we need to be about the business of, of making sure that black women are taken care of and their babies are taken care of and their families and our communities. Like we really need to pay attention to that. So to all the women, um, black and brown that are listening or BIPOC women who are listening, I love you and keep speaking up and speaking out because you deserve quality of care and you deserve quality of life. And just thank you for listening. Thank you so awesome. much. Um, thank you yes, so much, so was, much gratitude. This was great. Please follow A Tribe Called Fertility on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Feel free to DM us with your questions, thoughts, or share your fertility story. For more information on your amazing podcast hosts, please visit www.atribecalledfertility.com. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. It really helps the show and we welcome the feedback. For those of you who are watching us on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to our channel and hit that notification bell so that you know when we're dropping new content.